Doing all right? Isn't that a most amazing scene? When I was 20 and Christ changed my life, that movie had come out. And I remember going to a theater. I was by myself, and I was weeping when I saw that scene. That our God did that. And I think it's in Deuteronomy. It may be in Isaiah. I know it's somewhere in from Genesis to Revelation. It says this. But it says, that's how I roll sometimes in the Bible. But it says literally that God just breathed through his nostrils, and it split the sea. He just went just a little bit, and it went up. Isn't that amazing? See, you've heard between a rock and a hard place, right? How about between an army and a sea? In Exodus chapter 14, the Israelites are fleeing from Egypt when they found themselves on the verge of being brought back into slavery, slavery or even killed. The sea in front of them, an army behind them. They felt hopeless and possibly trapped. Have you ever felt like that? We likewise find ourselves in places where there's no solution, no answer, and no way out. But here's what you need to know about this Red Sea thing. The most overlooked fact is this. About the Red Sea moment is that it was God who put them there. It was on purpose. God intentionally put them there. And God knew exactly how it was all going to play out. There was never a doubt. Never a single doubt. Do you know this morning that the Lord has you right where he wants you? Even if you put yourself in your circumstances by your sin or whatever it is. Even if you feel like you're running away. He is with you. Night is not night to him. A storm is not storm to him. He sleeps through storms, right? Come on. In the Gospels, remember he's asleep in the storm? Our God never sleeps or slumbers. He's always awake. And the storms are nothing to him. You have a deliverer, a rescuer. You see in Exodus 13, 8, right before this, I had never seen this before in the passage. Right before it gets to this big event that we always hear about. In Exodus chapter 13, it says a couple things. One, when they came out of Egypt... They were fully equipped wearing warrior outfits. They were ready for war. See, we don't always see that in the movies. But God had clothed them in warrior garments. Did you know that? And here's the second thing. When God brought them out of Egypt, the first place that they were going, they had to face a tribe called the Philistines, a brutal tribe, a warring tribe. And God looked at his people, though they were fully clothed for battle, and said, they're not ready. They're not ready for war. So he turns them around and says, I want you to go in front of the Red Sea. See, before they could fight the Philistines, they needed to first learn that Yahweh would fight for them. That the Lord would fight for them. God placed them in the exact spot, in that exact moment, so that he could perform a miracle that would define himself and his people forever. Listen to what the scriptures say. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back in a camp near Pi-Harithia, or something really awesome, between Migdal and the sea. There they are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite of Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think, the Israelites were wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am Lord. So the Israelites did this. Listen, God put them there. You can't be any more direct than that. Turn here, go left at the McDonald's, right there. That's what God did. 
Could it be that we find ourselves standing between the sea and an approaching army in our lives because God has put this there on purpose? God knew the result all along. He planned it. However, staring down in the barrel of certain defeat, the Israelites who had seen God perform astounding miracles to provide their freedom, remember the plagues, now question everything about him and everything about their future. Are you in a place where you have started to question God and everything about your future? Listen to what it says that they said to, to Moses and to God. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and they saw the Egyptians marching after them. How many times do we get our eyes on the enemy? We get our eyes in this world. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to this desert to die? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you, Moses, in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? That word serve is slave. They're saying it'd be better to be slaves. It would have been better for us to be slaves to the Egyptians than die in the desert. Man, that's low. They'd rather be slaves to die in the desert. No, it's not. It's better to die in the desert than be a slave to anything. You see, they had the spirit of slavery on them. They looked like warriors coming out of Egypt, but they thought like slaves still. And God said, you're not ready for battle. What about you? Maybe, just maybe, they thought the past wasn't so bad after all. Maybe slavery was better than uncertain death and defeat. Whatever punishment could be waiting back for us in Egypt, maybe it's better to go back there than to go forward with God. If you remember, under slavery, these people were the ones who cried out daily for deliverance. Yet when deliverance came, they didn't like what it looked like. There was finger pointing. There was second guessing. But the fact is that God placed them there in the exact spot, in the exact moment, so that he could perform a miracle that would define himself and his people forever. Here's the problem. Did you know? And it's, I never saw this before, but in chapter 13 leading up, they had something in their possession that should have reminded them of God's faithfulness. They had Joseph's bones. What's the big deal about Joseph's bones? Remember, Joseph had a prophecy. He said, when God takes you out after the Egyptians oppress you, you take my bones to that promised land. Because God is going to come to your aid. And they also had a prophecy from Abraham. God told Abraham for 400 years, my people are going to be oppressed, but I'm going to deliver them. See, they're in the moment. They're in the moment of breakout, of breakthrough, but they don't see it. They don't see it. They think the Red Sea moment is the end of their story. And God says, it's just the beginning of your story. I'm writing a new chapter in your life. Maybe that's you right now too. Maybe God wants to break out. Maybe the place that you're at right now you think God can't do anything, but God's saying this is a place where I'm going to show you my glory. See, often when we get between a rock and a hard place, between an army and a sea, we forget in the dark what God told us in the light. We forget we have Joseph's bones, that we have promises that God has given us. We forget what the Lord has done and said. See, they had a slave mentality. They looked like warriors, but they thought like slaves. They didn't think like sons and daughters. Listen to what Moses says. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that will bring you today. 
the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And this is where we're hanging on today. The Lord will fight for you. And you need only to be still. Say that with me. Be still. Be still. We got to get louder than that. Be still. And I didn't put this on, on the, up on the screen. But the remedy that keeps us back from going to slavery is to be still and let him fight for you. Are you still enough to know that your Red Sea moment is a time of breakout? It's breakthrough. He's asking them to be still in a chaotic environment. See, we associate being still with getting away on some mountain or some waterfall and being still away from all the chaos of life. That's not what God is saying. Being still is a posture of your heart within your chaos. It's to wait on the Lord, to trust him, to see him instead of seeing your circumstances. Psalm 59, 9 through 10 articulates it well. It says, Lord, you are my strength. I wait for you to rescue me. For you, O God, are my place of safety. And I love this next part. In his unfailing love, my God will come to help me. He will go before me. He will let me look down in triumph over all my enemies. Why does he rescue you, child of God? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. But be careful to say what rescue looks like. We don't determine deliverance. We just put our eyes on the deliverer, amen? Be careful because we define rescue as relationship, a release from hardship. If that's true, Jesus wouldn't have had to go through what he went through. You can't define his love based on your circumstance. Being still is waiting and trusting. It's having not a slave mentality, but a son mentality. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 26.3. You, O Lord, will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind, your mind, is stayed on the Lord because he trusts you. You see, when my mind is stayed on the Lord, perfect peace comes to me. I can't produce the perfect peace. He gives it to me when my mind is stayed on him. You invite peace that passes understanding when you trust him. Remember what it says in Philippians 4, 7? Don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. And what? The peace that passes understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. When you trust him, you invite the peace of God that will guard your heart and mind. The word guard in Greek is of a garrison of Roman soldiers. A garrison is a thousand soldiers. What Paul is saying is when you start rejoicing, when you start praying, when you start getting your eyes on Jesus, that what happens is it's like a thousand soldiers of peace will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Do you have the peace that passes understanding? I want to attract that, right? Don't you? Don't attract, invite a spirit of slavery. Understand the law of attraction and invitation. No, this is not about dating. But in the spiritual, you attract what you're dwelling on, what you desire, what your mind is focused on. Let me put it this way. We will often find what we're looking for, and we will attract what we are looking for. You take a buzzard and a hummingbird. Every single day, what does a buzzard find? A buzzard swerves around and finds dead things, right? Every single day, what does a hummingbird find? Sweet things. Day after day, proving you will always find what you're looking for. What you search for finds you and is also attracted to you. What happens when you see buzzards on the road? You see a lot of buzzards on the road, right? 
Buzzards attract buzzards. Hummingbirds attract hummingbirds. Maybe this is a dating message because some of you are dating buzzards. This is what it says in the Bible about this law. In Proverbs eleven twenty seven, Solomon said this. He said, if you search for good, what will you find? You will find favor. But if you search for evil, what's going to happen? It's going to find you. You want to find the negative? You want to find the miserable? You can search for it and you will find it. But if you search for good, you can also find that as well. Fear, doubts, and oppressive thoughts open doors of slavery. When you go through difficulty and prolonged times of difficulty, if you don't change the doubt and the thought process, you will find more oppression, more difficult situations coming your way, and it attracts the enemy. Because the enemy is justified in attacking your lack of faith. He can step in and create havoc in my life when I give him permission through unbelief and because I started believing something that doesn't line up with the word of God or God's nature. When you believe you're an overcomer, that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, you activate Holy Spirit to move. I want to attract Holy Spirit in my life, amen? Listen. Do you have more faith in the enemy, enemy to pummel you than you do in God defending you and protecting you? Think about that. It's when you start believing in the sovereignty of God, his goodness. When you say, I don't know how this is going to work out for me, but I believe it will because I'm a child of God and his word says it. And Lord, I trust you at all times. My mind will be stayed on you. I will be still and know that you're God. Now, when I say that, I've closed the door to the devil. He has no right, no chink in the armor to get to my heart, no foothold in my soul. See, the law of attraction, the law of attraction works in our faith. In Hebrews, it says, faith is substance. What I think in the natural, I invite in the natural. It's the flesh. We invite the flesh to dominate my thinking in a circumstance. That naturally invites a foothold for oppression. I invite things I don't want in my life. You see, the blood has bought you and defends you, but you can open a door or a gate that should be kept closed and invite the devil in and give him justification to attack you through sin and unbelief. When I think with my born-again spirit, though, with my mind renewed by the word of God, thoughts and attitudes washed by Holy Spirit, I attract heaven's armies. I attract and activate the promises of God. Power over sensual thoughts and strongholds, I overcome. I see circumstances differently. I see roadblocks differently. I see the enemy differently as a defeated foe by the cross of my Savior. I get nourished in my inner being with power through his spirit out of his glorious riches. says that in Ephesians. Listen, in Ephesians, he says he has glorious riches. He can download and activate in me when I believe that he'll provide all my needs and carry me through every difficult circumstance. Your faith invites something, either God or the devil. And when you do that, you say, come work in my life. Some of you have more faith in the devil than you do in Jesus. When you say, I'll always be the same, I'll never change, that's a spirit of slavery. And it's the language of the flesh, not the spirit. And you invite the devil to create a reality in you as a child of God you should never do. You've invited the devil to kill, steal, and destroy. But when you say, God, he's going to move. I'll walk in trust. I'll be obedient. I'll leave it to him. 
I invite all of heaven's realities that are mine in Christ Jesus. And then I release the abundant life Jesus talked about. Fear, guilt, shame are doors of access that we want to quickly close to the devil. If not, here they come. Invite Jesus and attract everything that is of him. So here's the solution. We close doors simply by turning to Jesus. It's that simple. We change our minds, our thinking, and you begin to think upon what is good, pure, holy, true, and just. Just as it says in Philippians 4, 8, we think upon those things and you attract those things. Philippians says rejoice. And again I say rejoice. Paul wrote that from prison. He was attracting the joy of the Lord, wasn't he? When you start rejoicing, you attract the things of God. So here's what you claim. I have a promise from my Father in heaven. He will never fail or forsake me. My future is greater than my present pain or predicament. It won't always be this way. I have hope for tomorrow. And if there's hope for tomorrow, then there's hope for my today. Because God is in my today and he'll be in my tomorrow. Amen? We have to stop thinking like the world and the flesh and start using the mind of Christ, which has already been given to us. Listen, the battle has already been won. There was a battle for you 2,000 years ago on the cross. Jesus won the battle over the devil and his minions. Colossians 2.15 says, After having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's demonic powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He marched them in humiliation. Listen, when the devil comes into you in your Red Sea moment, and he tries to tell you it's hopeless, you're trash, you're a slave, you're defeated, you're humiliated, you need to remind him of what Jesus Christ did to him on the cross and what the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do to him when he binds him with chains and throws him in the lake of fire. Man, there better be some amens. Our God is a conquering warrior. Come on. Let's wake up. Let's wake up. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says we are always victorious. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. He is the God who goes before you and stands behind you. He will fight for you. He fights your battles. Your battle has been won, child of God. I love what it says in Exodus. It says the angel of God, that's Yahweh, the great I am who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud, which is the presence of God, Holy Spirit, who now lives in you, also moved from in front and stood behind them. He's your defender, child of God, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. The Lord goes before us and he stands behind us. It's a fight, but it's his fight. The Lord is a mighty warrior. And listen, you need to personalize this today. He is your mighty warrior. Listen, it's not up to us to fight. It's up to us to follow. He's opening up a way before us. We have to trust that God not only knows our situation, but he knows the outcome. The ability to be still when everything in you is screaming to do anything but be still is the essence of faith. And it's then that we see God's greatest miracles We see the breakthrough you long for. Because some of you long for breakthrough. Where's the victorious life? See, God positions us 
and Red Sea moments so our lives can be a testimony of his greatness, his leading, his love, his care. He takes us to places where we can only say, God can deliver me, and I believe my deliverer is coming. Red Seas are defining moments. They can be good or bad. You can say, this is the end of my story, or that God is writing a new chapter in my story. What's it going to be for you? You have a choice. Be still and trust or return to slavery and fear. Every day you get to decide. Here's what you can know when you're between an army and a sea. The solution came before the problem. Yahweh has it worked out. Our God is mighty to save and he is your champion. Don't put expectations on how he should deliver you. Don't look back. Cling to his love. Stop asking God for reassurances and believe what he's already told you. Be still. And he will give you enough for the next step of faith. Listen, we get scared and we start looking for an earth solution to an earth problem. But be still and let him release heaven's solution to your earthly problem. He has the solution worked out. He already knew before they ever got to the banks of the Red Sea. You don't always need the big picture. You just need to be still. And he will give you enough light for the next step. In Psalm 77, it talks about this Red Sea moment. One of my favorite scriptures. God used this when we purchased the hub house in Highland City. He put this on my heart. It's this. Psalm 77. Your path led through, and that's the Red Sea, your way, your way through mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people along the road like a flock of sheep. I love that, a flock of sheep. And Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. He's saying, we can't see your footprints with our natural eyes, but they're there. They're unseen footprints before you. God is leading your life. Footprints that only can be seen with the eyes of your heart your spiritual heart, your faith eyes. Faith sees something our physical eyes can't see, the footprints of Jesus, our shepherd, right? If Moses and Aaron were their shepherd, Jesus is our shepherd. Just like Moses, our shepherd is leading. He's out in front of us. He's out in front of his sheep. He doesn't drive the sheep behind with a whip. That's what mules get. You're a sheep. Eastern shepherds don't drive their sheep. They lead them. They went before their flocks to lead them to good food, grass, and water. And John, he says this, my sheep know my voice. In Psalm 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? Want. That's being still. That's a good definition of being still right there. He leads them where? In green pastures. I ask my kids what, what green pastures mean. And I'll tell you, they have their answers in here. So I just want to tell you when, they, when I read this, this is their answers of, of this. I want you to look at this picture. Hopefully you can see it pretty good. That's called wilderness. But you know it's also called green pastures? Sounds weird, huh? We look and we don't see anything green there, right? We think of green pastures and we picture this with my kids. The sound of music Rolling hills, waist-deep grass. But shepherds look at that, and they see the wealth of the wilderness. They can see hidden food and nourishment where we can see none, just like our shepherd does. 
The Lord leads me into green pastures, has been pictured as the Swiss Alps, belly deep grass. You see, in, in, that, in that land, there's not a lot of farmlands in that part of the country. And farmers actually keep shepherds out the wilderness. That's the land of the shepherd, and that's the land of our shepherd. This next, can you see those trails on the hillside? Those are grazing trails that are cut into the mountains that have been there since the time of Abraham. Sheep going back all the way to, the, to Abraham. Isn't that amazing? Can you see the trails and you can see the sheep kind of on those trails and you can see them feeding? We look at that and we're like, what are those? Rock-eating sheep? What do they eat? How can these be called green pastures? The answer is, there's a small amount of moisture there. They get a little bit of rain every year. Plus there's humidity in the air in the evening from the Mediterranean Sea. That moisture drips along the edges of these rocks. Coupled with a little bit of shade and sun. And right around those rocks are little tufts of green. That's green pastures. He looks for us on a hillside. And he walks out in front of them, the shepherd does, to the point where they can't even see him, but they're still eating. And they intuitively know his way and hear his voice and follow him. So a couple things. God is giving you enough for the next step of faith, just like he did with the footsteps through the Red Sea. Endless green pastures of the Swiss Alps are not what you need to live off the rest of your life. They're there to advance you through every trial to the next step. If your vision of green pastures is the Swiss Alps, that God is going to put you in good fortune in belly deep alfalfa till you eat and you're so stuffed you can't move and you'll never have to reach out again the rest of your life, if that's your picture of deliverance, of breaking strongholds, you're in trouble. You're gonna wanna go back to Egypt and you'll be bitter with God. God is giving you just enough for the next step of faith. A guy named Ray Vanderlaan, this is where I got this. He, wrote, he writes this, and I'm just gonna read what he wrote. I thought it was great. He said, even though they eat all of one day's grass, the sheep do not worry about where tomorrow's grass will come from. They trust the shepherd to find new pastures for them and lead them in the way. It's the challenge for us to trust God day by day. The good shepherd doesn't promise a life of luxury and long-term supplies, but he will always give the pasture needed for the moment and his sheep. And as his sheep, we should trust God today rather than worrying about the future. You may not see it now, but a new tuft of grass will always be there in the morning. See, as you're in your Red Sea moment, when the enemy is coming up from behind you and an impossible future is in front of you, God gives you enough to go forward. In the desert, you learn the shepherd will get you what and where you need to be. It may look sparse. It may look like there's no green around, but he is leading you through every challenge of your life. If you just close your eyes for a second, I wanna read these over you. Band, you can come up. Jesus wrote this in John 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all 
and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Isaiah 40, 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and will gently lead those who have their young. Psalm 78, 52. He led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. You can look at me now. The Lord is my shepherd. Is he yours? Do you believe that he's leading you? Bow your head and close your eyes again. Father, we come before you. We renounce unbelief. Father, we renounce anything the enemy, the lies of the enemy, God. We renounce slavery. Father, we renounce the traps of the evil one. And Lord, we jump into your abundant life that you died to give us. Lord, may we believe that our Red Sea moments are a new chapter, a new beginning, that God, you're gonna break through, you're gonna break out over lives. Father, help us to know that you're leading us through every danger, every trial. But we have to see with our faith eyes your unseen footprints that lead through the sea. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue to worship, are you caught in a slavery of fear? Is that your mentality? Or do you think like a son? Do you think like a daughter? Are you dressed for battle, but you think like a slave? God has given you everything. He died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross to have you. If you don't know him today, call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And maybe you're in that place, the Red Sea moment. You've got that army coming after you of your, your past. The future looks bleak before you and you feel stuck. He is giving you enough. Daily bread, tufts of grass. His footsteps were unseen, but they led through the Red Sea. Listen, all he has to do is just breathe through his nostrils and your Red Sea is broken open. God wants to break out. Eyes on the deliverer in Jesus' name. If that's you and you need prayer, We're going to be right back over in Next Steps. You can stand. Let's stand. We're going to worship. We're going to be right back there. If you just need prayer over your life, God's leading in your life, just come right back there. We want to pray for you. Let's worship.